Welcome to Next Up with NextGen, the podcast bringing you insights and perspectives from the next generation of leaders in the American Council of the Blind. Brought to you by ACB Next Generation. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Next Up with NextGen podcast presented by ACB Next Generation. My name is Greg Lindberg, and I am the current chair of the ACB NextGen Publications Committee. Here on this episode of the podcast, we are featuring a recording from the January 2024 NextGen Education Program, and the focus of this event was navigating paratransit with rideshare services such as Uber and Lyft. I should mention that this event was put on by the NextGen Advocacy Committee, which is chaired by Aaron Espinoza, and the panelists for this event were Claire Stanley, the brand new Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs at ACB, along with Patrick Sheehan, Sheila Styron, and Artis Bazin. The first question that was posed to the panelists was, what led your local paratransit agency to start partnering with a rideshare company? This is Pat Sheen from uh, Washington D.C. area, and I can tell uh, tell you what um, you know why they offered it. A couple of different reasons, I think, and in looking at why you want to use perhaps an Uber and Lyft as opposed to the the fix, you know the paratransit system that's um, that's fixed route, and you're talking to let's say uh, a transit property. What we're finding in Washington D.C. is that the paratransits, the uh, Uber and Lyft, which we're calling abilities ride, um, is a lot cheaper than working with a paratransit system. For every individual who has a parat- paratransit ride in Washington D.C., it's about $110 a trip. We can get a corresponding. Um, and and the reason why that's so expensive is you've got uh, you've got schedulers, you've got uh, the, the the vans, you've got the drivers, um, you've got the dispatchers, you've got a whole framework there, and so that ride comes out to about one hundred and ten dollars a ride for every passenger. You go to Uber and Lyft, which you know using Abilities Ride, that is about thirty to thirty five dollars. So the tran- from the transit side, they're saving a lot of money with respect to uh, the cost for each individual ride. And so if you're trying to sell something like that, you can look at cost. What it comes down to, I think, particularly in Washington, D.C., is one, it um, supplemented paratransit. It wasn't uh, noted as paratransit. You didn't have the same, all, all the same requirements as you would but you were able to get into sedans and go from point A to point B. The rides were not shared rides for the most part, and they were much quicker, and they really alleviated a lot of pressure on the uh, schedule. So, you know, it, it helped create a win-win situation. Washington, D.C., if they moved you from paratransit uh, to this abilities ride, it was basically a free ride. So you weren't paying anything for your paratransit ride. So 
those are some of the reasons why in Washington, D.C., they wanted to do it so they could improve their on-time. You know, they take people off paratransit and or you opted to go into using Uber and Lyft, which it really is what it was. If you opted to take a free trip on Uber and Lyft, uh, to get to your same destination, it took people off the paratransit system and it helped the paratransit system achieve its on-time goal of 96% on-time performance by taking more people off of it. And 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 it was a win for the uh, individuals because we could get to our destinations by hopping in a Uber or Lyft and getting there faster, quicker, and with less hassle. Mm-hmm. Can I add something? I'm sorry, I should probably stay muted, but um, I have something I wanted to add regarding to this. Brennan? Is that Brennan? Sorry. Yeah, I just uh, want to make sure I was okay to speak. Um, so if I'm understanding paratransit correctly, that would be like the door-to-door service, like to and from, uh, like, one location to the other um but um in my area that's actually cheaper than what uber and lyft are usually like to get like 15 or 20 minutes down the road it's usually like 30 dollars here for on paratransit oh uber and lyft my paratransit if i understand the term paratransit correctly uh, the door-to-door thing, that's like 4 or $5, right. no matter four, where you that, go. Well, no, that's 4 or $5 for you, right? But it's not yeah. 4 or $5 for each trip. So if you take and ask them how much a paratransit trip is going to be, you've got to factor into that. You've got dispatchers, schedulers, you've got vans, and you've got drivers. That's at least four levels, whereas my ride is five levels, maybe. So all of that is part of your trip. So for the transit property, you've got five other fees that you haven't calculated into that trip. You're paying $5, but that's not the cost of the paratransit uh, ride. That's your cost, but it's not the, the transit property's cost. So, in, in, And the reason why I said it that way is that if someone is, is interested in moving forward with um, – getting an Uber and Lyft system in there and you're talking to board of directors, you're talking to the transit people, whoever they are, right? You need to be able to speak to it in terms of how is it going to help them uh, with get Uber and Lyft? What are the benefits to the transit property going to be if we have an Uber and Lyft um, set up? That is going to be parallel to the paratransit setup. Why do I? Why should I be listening to this pitch? What's it going to do for me? And so one of the one of the things that you can say is, uh, an Uber and Lyft, particularly in Washington D.C., is free. If I opt to move to Uber and Lyft from paratransit, my five dollars that I'm paying for paratransit is free on Uber and Lyft, and they're saving. Oh, $80 per ride because my ride is now $30 as opposed to 110 per trip. Also, this is Claire. Just to clarify, um, I think part of the confusion, if your paratransit provider partners up with Uber and Lyft, like we're seeing in a lot of places, you're not going to pay the typical Uber or Lyft uh, fare. 
Uh, like Pat said, here in the D.C. area for a while, you were paying nothing. Or maybe they would have you pay what you typically pay for paratransit, which could be $4 like it is here. So say the typical route that you take, I think you said an Uber or Lyft ride is around $30. If you if you use paratransit, but they provided the service through Uber or Lyft, you're only going to pay what Uber or Lyft, you or, excuse me, what paratransit charges you. So you're not going to pay that $30. You're going to pay whatever paratransit asks you. So you're right. Yeah, Uber and Lyft can be a lot more expensive than paratransit. But if they're partnering with paratransit, but giving you the ride through Uber and Lyft, you're going to be paying that much lower fee, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I guess in a... Roundabout way, that's what I was asking. Mm -hmm. Um, just because, like, I know for me, it's definitely way cheaper to do paratransit than it is Uber and Lyft because, unfortunately, they don't offer that for free here. Uber and Lyft. The the reason I, I wanted to jump in here is because we have a subsidized thing in Boston, uh, where you pay the first $3 and then um, the paratransit pays the next 30. And if your trip goes beyond that, you pay the rest. So I just wanted to mention that it is cheaper for sure. Let me just- This is Sheila. Thank you. Uh, Real quick before we loop to the next question and kind of get- I might, this is Sheila, I think I might have a pertinent answer if I think I know what people are talking about, having come late to the party. But we do have a system here in Kansas City where we've contracted with Z-Trip, a cab company, and people can get paratransit rides. Uh, there is a um, there is a, uh, a fee for the first four miles um, that is $5. And then after that, you pay $2 per mile. So it ends up being a little less than Uber and Lyft. And if it's, if it's four miles or less, it's a really good deal. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And it's same day service. And there is sort of an Uber like app, not quite as well done or, uh, it's quite as dependable as the Uber app, but you can do it without having to call and sit on hold. And it is yeah. same day service. And we're definitely going to touch on pricing and what the what the end user pays. Um, Sheila and artist, the question that we're originally on is do you know Sorry. what led your local area to start offering this type of service? I have a great story about that. Ooh, we do had tell. We had a gentleman um, who was uh, one of our county commissioners, and he went blind, (laughs) and he became our KCATA um, CEO, and he got very involved in paratransit because him having lost, he having lost the ability to drive became extremely empathetic and so he really pulled out all the stops and talked with the transportation on the federal level and got this program instituted quite a few years ago now and it was all because he lost his eyesight i i can say for sure he would tell you that himself that's great <laughs> uh, hey matt before you go to your next question i wanted to just throw in one quick thing 
here in Cleveland, they had a program with Lyft. But the problem, the caveat I found is that a lot of the vehicles were not wheelchair accessible. And because of that, it, they could not be regulated. So that's where I find their challenges here because they did it, but then they ended it because they could not accommodate wheelchairs. Um, this is Artis. Um, in Colorado, one of the key reasons that they decided to look for other options was they had trouble getting drivers. And and then plus the cost, uh, some of the people realized how much it was costing per each ride. And so they contacted the Lyft and Uber systems and found out that Uber and Lyft was glad to do it. And they would they send out vouchers to Uber and Lyft and each person gets so many vouchers per month. All right. So, and I think we did kind of cover this a little bit, but we'll just go ahead and ask the question is, um, right here. do you guys know how your local service is financed and what do individual riders pay for their trips? So I don't know who wants to. Man, I can start with this. You want to kick us off, Pat? All right. Sure. I'll be happy to do that, man. All Thank right. you. So I'll, I'll hike uh, you the football. All right. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Uh, we're the commanders, so we don't do much except maybe fumble the ball. But uh, other than that, um, <laughs> the uh, it's interesting. Washington, D.C., the question you just asked is a big one because uh, we are we the three jurisdictions that use the transit properties, uh, Virginia, D.C., and Maryland, uh, need to come up with $750 million by July where they're going to be severely cutting the paratransit system. Once you cut back on bus, once you cut back on rail, you can cut back on paratransit. So we have 36,000 people that use paratransit are eligible, and there is a shortfall in the money, so 9,000 of those people can get cut from paratransit unless we come up with the money. So, um, and I think that there are a lot of other transit properties that are having issues like that. So one of the things that we're trying to do is to find ways to, to save money uh, using the uh, system that we have with Uber and Lyft currently uh, because it's subsidized. Uh, the cost per trip right now is about is zero. Now that probably will go up. I don't think it would go up uh, any more than maybe $5, which is what they're suspecting. But money is a big deal for transit properties right now. COVID money has dried up. Uh, infrastructure money is going to fixing the systems, buying, you know, uh, you know, buying trains and that sort of thing, what they call capital cost, operational cost of running the system uh, in Washington, D.C. We just don't have that money right now. So it's quite a financial cliff, fiscal cliff that we have right now. And this is Sheila. Um, Kansas City was one of the first jurisdictions right to make paratran to make um, the actual city bus system free. And I know right now they're talking about uh, charging. I, I really don't know if they will. Um, there is a little piece to the um, extra 
uh, paratransit that that is also um, anyone can sign up for this app and they can take rides for ten dollars. And I don't know how many people are availing themselves of that opportunity, but it is another small way that that they are funding um, these rides. And I know that um, that the four dollars that I would pay for the first five miles uh, of these rides, the paratransit funding is covering the other six. And then if a, a non-disabled person signs up to use this app, they pay $10 for that initial ride. And then the price goes up $2 per mile for additional miles beyond the $4 limit. And the regular paratransit is still free. And I have heard we have very little community input here in Kansas City at this point. Uh, nothing too terrible has been happening lately. And when the bottom falls out, I'm quite sure that whole dynamic and desire for information will change. But as of now, things have been going not so badly here in Kansas City. But when one of these things happens, such as the fare going up, um, prices being reinstated, I'm sure that there will be an outcry. Um, so I, I don't exactly know when that will happen. Um, this is artist in uh, Colorado. Um, they get some grants and the counties also do some subsidizing of um, transportation. I'm not sure exactly what the split is because we're fairly new here, but I know I had asked one um, of the paratransit drivers when we went to get in our, to try to get certified here in Colorado. But here, um, it sounds like we have it much better. Um, you, um, as far as I know, someone mentioned they had trouble with the Lyft Uber thing because they didn't have accessible. Well, here we have a combination. Accessor Ride has the vans where people with wheelchairs or walkers or whatever who cannot, you know, like step into a car, they can use the regular uh, vans and then they have to pay $5 to $9, depending on how far they're going for the trip. Plus they have to call one to seven days ahead of time. But if you are mobile and have a disability and you can use Uber and Lyft, then what they do is they hook it to your current Lyft or Uber um, app, and they would automatically pay the first $25 of every Uber or Lyft trip. Now, they do give you a max per month, but it's it's very sufficient to cover like what um, we both do. So it hasn't been a problem. You do have to pay for the tips that you want to pay. And you do have to pay for anything that's over $25. But we've only, we've just lived here four months. And we've only had it twice that it was over $25. That was like going to the airport or uh, clear across um, Denver to the farthest side when it was kind of a more rush hour time. So uh, it's very uh, doable. 
Um, we don't have any buses very close, I think five or six blocks. So if the weather's at all yucky, you know, it's it's great to be able to have that ability just to do Uber and Lyft. Claire, you have anything to kick in here? Um, well, I I am lazy and I don't have to answer because Pat and I have the same system. <laughs> so Pat has answered the question for me. Oh, well, don't worry, Claire. We can always put you on the spot. Okay. okay. Uh, are you are are you aware? I, I'm sure that a lot of this is being traditionally financed by public tax dollars. But uh, are you aware of uh, any other models or schemas across the country that may be taking advantage of this through financing and such? Like just in terms of where they may be coming up with the pile of money? to support this venture? That's a great question. I haven't heard of too many, I, I haven't heard where the dollars tend to come from or, or, or different w ways of, of doing it. The funding always, or I shouldn't say always, to my knowledge, the funding comes from the public transportation system. So, to, you know, however the money comes in at this yes. city, state or county level in any system, that pays for any other type of public transportation. That's the same money that's being spent on paratransit. So like Pat was saying, unfortunately, here in the DC area, we are facing a big financial problem where I hear on the news every other day, you know, we're not going to have enough money to fund public transportation for the new year. And so that then directly impacts paratransit. Um, so that that's kind of the where the rub is, like Pat was saying, you know, if your public transit system doesn't have the money, then your paratransit doesn't because as we know under the Americans with Disabilities Act, the two work in concert. Um, but as far as how different municipalities are being creative, trying to pull money from other places, um, I haven't heard of anybody being too creative. I don't know if others have, but I haven't heard of any other creative ways of stretching a dollar. Uh, this is Pat. I'll just respond in a couple of areas where I know that funds have dried up. I know in Maryland, part of what they did was to use uh, part of the money on, in the gas tax. But now that you've got electric cars and hybrid cars and all that, the tax, that gas tax in Maryland has dried up. Uh, other projects have been taken precedence, so there's been kind of a cut in, in that area. They have looked at using sales tax, sales taxes, which, you know, is a steady revenue and also taxing uh, properties that are close to, let's say, a bus and rail system who are getting more of the business, they pay a higher tax, a use tax. So I've seen something like that. But in this, you know, current political environment, uh, you know, asking for more tax revenue is not a great way to keep your job and stay elected. So there's a lot of pressure on on the uh in our case, jurisdictions to come up with more money or the states to come up with more money to pay for this. But it's uh, it, it, it's it's tough. And in the meantime, our area said a few years ago that they were going to um, that they were going to uh, put a cap on how much they could raise the taxes within three states. And so that that has put the brakes on some of this. I think where a lot of the jurisdictions have gotten into trouble is that a transit, uh, the way people um, are using transit now has changed since COVID. 
uh, COVID money was used to help pay for transit in some ways, or people stayed at home, didn't use transit. And now all of a sudden the transit bills are due and the people have changed how they're traveling, where they're traveling, people going to work. We're not seeing a lot of that in the Washington, D.C. area, having to travel to work every day like that. People want to work from home. And so you've got to look at the new dynamics for all of that and see, you know, what you can afford. And right now, there's not a lot of money coming in, at least in the Washington, D.C. area, to pay for all of this. And this is clear to build off. To build off what Pat was just saying, one thing that I personally got really nervous about, and knock on wood, thankfully it hasn't been as bad as a lot of disability advocates thought it was going to be. But during COVID, a lot of transportation was pulled back because people weren't going to work. And so, uh, you know, in person, so public transportation pulled back because they didn't have as many riders. And there was big fear that it wouldn't ever go back to what it was pre-COVID. And as been mentioned by several people already, paratransit only has to align with public transit. So if there are fewer bus lines or they're not going as far because they just don't think people are commuting, that kind of thing, then paratransit doesn't have to exceed that. So there was a lot of fear coming out of COVID that transportation would really look different than it did. Um, and knock on wood, I feel like here in the DC area, it's it's rebounded a lot, but there's still the fear that, you know, COVID changed things significantly. And then that by default impacts paratransit as well. Um, I just want to briefly mention St. Louis. Someone we may should have included in this call tonight is Robin Wall, and she's the uh, chairperson of Missouri's um, Transportation Committee, and they are having a terrible time in St. Louis. Buses have been cut back. Paratransit has been cut. They, they are really suffering in St. Louis. They're fighting all kinds of battles in that jurisdiction. And I don't know if that is um, you know, emblematic of what's going on in other places, but I do know for certain that it's it's they're having a really hard time in St. Louis. Um, Thank you, Sheila. Meryl, you got the next question? Yep. yep. How do you book a ride through the app? or paratransit services and how is the ride sharing company um, notified of your disability man i can take that claire i don't know if you want me to take that or whatever from the washington dc area go for it pat and i can try okay good um so in in our particular instance we will book a ride through the paratransit system in our case it's called metro access and i can book uh, a ride through that in the normal way to get a paratransit vehicle and because uh they have x amount of rides and let's say a lottery i can be i can opt to move over to this ability to find, but it is not my choice to move over. It is their choice according to the schedule, the schedulers and the dispatchers and all that to offer me a ride on what I'm going to call abilities ride, which is the paratransit, uh, which is the um, Uber and Lyft. Uh, if I opt for that, I will get a link 
that allows me to um, accept the ride. And then I can hit a another link that they will send me. So I'm getting multiple links here, and that's a, this is a pain. That will allow me to track my ride, though, through, uh, let's say, Uber, my Uber app. And then I can use the messaging app, uh, you know, to, to be in touch with the driver. So so our, within the Washington, D.C. area, it allows me to uh, to connect with the Uber app so that I can use all the functions of that app to find out exactly where my ride is. But more importantly, be able to track the um, the ride, you know, how many miles away it is. And also send a message to the driver that my name is Patrick, I'm blind, I'm wearing A, B, C, and D, and this is where you'll find me, which I find very useful. What I And I'll just end with this. What I find very cool about the Uber app right now is that even when it's one, uh, like within one-tenth of a mile, it'll tell me 900 feet, 800 feet, 700 feet, you know, work all the way down to like 50 feet away so that I know that 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 car is still coming in my direction, which, you know, I, it's something I've seen in the last six months. So I think that's pretty cool. But we're basically using and interfacing with Uber. And Lyft, well, right now we're just using Uber. But if we use Lyft, we'll be interfacing with those two apps to be able to track the cars coming in and, and utilize all those functions. So I like it. Artists um, in uh, the Denver metro area, it actually is much more streamlined. I mean, there is a negative to it, but um, once you are accepted by uh, Accessibility Ride, they send you a link and you click on it and it'll automatically find your Uber account and your Lyft account, whatever accounts you have. It'll automatically find them. And then what they do is they pay, they send a voucher to each system for so many rides a month. And then we get a notification in email and also text saying, okay, so many rides have, you've gotten a voucher for so many rides. And then at the end of the month, they take away any rides that you haven't used, but then you get that next month's rides. And then, so then I'll get an email after I do it. Well, you still have so many rides left. And so it tells me up to date. The only downside by going directly with Uber and Lyft, the Uber and Lyft drivers do not know that you have a disability because you're just using Uber and Lyft like you would ordinarily. So if you want them to know you're blind, uh, like when we're at a mall or a shopping center, um, then it's good for us to say, hey, um, I have a blue jacket, I have a white cane, because then they know I won't be able to see them. So I do have to let them know that, because they would not know otherwise. And there is the other thing I have noticed is there have been three times in the last three months where we got an Uber driver that did not... Um, well, two times didn't speak English. One time it was a deaf person. And we got to where we were going. And um, we didn't think we we're at the right location. We asked the driver, are we at such and such? And they did not answer. And the one case, the guy said, GPS 
here, GPS here. And uh, so we ended up getting out of the vehicle, finding out we were right. It wasn't the right place and having to call another Uber and Lyft. But fortunately, we have enough um, vouchers that, you know, if that happens occasionally, it's okay. And the other fortunate thing, of course, Uber and Lyft can find you so they know where to pick you up uh, to get you where you're going. But it is kind of inconvenient, especially when it's a... you know, 15 degrees outside, and you have to wait another 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> um, this, this is, is Brennan. Claire. Oh, I'm sorry. This is Claire. I just wanted to build off of that yeah. um, that comment that Artis was making because, and I know this isn't exactly answering the question. I'm just going off of the last comment. So sorry for my tangent. Um, but another unfortunate side effect of having Lyft and Uber drivers who don't know that you're blind and who aren't, you know, traditional paratransit drivers in my experience unfortunately has been um ride denials because of my guide dog um i literally had once where um i actually was supposed to have a traditional paratransit ride but they were out of drivers so they sent out an uber like they do so common now in the dc area okay and it said my ride was almost just like pat said i had the app it said your ride is almost there your ride is almost there your ride is here click and I know it's because they saw my guide dog. So that's another frustration with using it's this internal conflict I have where I love that we can use um, Uber now for paratransit. But because they're not traditionally trained paratransit drivers, they're going to have those additional um, characteristics, just like artists was just saying, you know, maybe they're deaf or they uh, speak a different language or they don't want a guide dog in their car. So that's also been a, an obstacle. Well, I'm listening to everyone else's comments and I'm deciding that everything is indeed not up to date in Kansas City because we contract, as I mentioned previously, with a cab company and we we don't have contracts with Uber and Lyft. We do have a separate app. I think if you can see, you do get the Uber Lyft countdown, but you but I, as, as somebody who vo- uses voiceover with my phone, I don't get the countdown. It's it's not as together as um, getting um, location and timing information with your, um, you know, with as you do with an Uber and a Lyft. And people who book regular paratransit uh, call a phone number and people who want to book the cab and are not comfortable with um, iPhone technology can also book this cab uh, cab service, you know, same day service through the um, you know through the phone. So it works like that here. And in terms of payment, uh, people don't pay anything with the paratransit regular. It's called share a fare here, share a fare. And the cab uh, service is called Freedom on Demand. And you can choose to have uh, your credit card stored in the app, or you can pay with cash as you take these cab rides that are part of the Freedom on Demand share fare system. But we don't, there are some areas around here that have vouchers, but here in the greater Kansas City area, we 
we do not have any vouchers. So that's another another disadvantage. And I do know that um, accessible vehicles are very limited as they are. Um, well, they are, you know, certainly with Uber and Lyft, I take a lot of regular Uber and Lyft, so I have to be careful that I'm not confusing my answers. <laughs> but, uh, you know, with the freedom on demand, there, there are is access to accessible vehicles because the cab companies are required to have them. And um, just oh. to ask that a bit. Oh, sorry. No, you're good. Yeah, well, we'll get to we'll get to questions in just a second, guys. Um, all right, so I'm going to kind of merge the last okay. few questions just for the sake of time. So I wonder if. Um, you know, you guys could comment on, uh, and I Claire kind of alluded to it earlier, but have there been any access issues for folks with guide dogs or folks in wheelchairs? And also, are there any particular restrictions that the paratransit agency imposes upon your ability to use the rideshare service, such as you know, it's got to be within three-fourths of a mile of a fixed bus route, or it's got to be during these certain times a day. So. Hey, man, so, I'll, I'll jump in. Uh, this is oh, Pat, Pat again. Thanks. Uh, Claire, said it, Claire said it very well. Well, I, I think the biggest thing that we see in, uh, in any of our Uber and cabs that are part of this um, – ability to ride program is that uh, they are still first Uber or commercial drivers. So if they see a guide dog, that's what we see mostly that they're going to um, leave those, leave those guide dogs and then they're just gone. Uh, and you've got to call another and another sometimes that's a problem uh, on the, on the wheelchair side. Uh, most of them do are not wheelchair accessible. So we have, are buying more vehicles uh, in the paratransit fleet that are um, wheelchair accessible so that we can uh, uh, you know, utilize those to take our wheelchair passengers. Um, I, I think that uh, you, know, you don't also have the same, the negatives on this now, you don't have the same um, checks and balances on the Uber folks that you do on the uh, paratransit type, not the same testing and all of that. It, for the most part, it is door to door. Um, but I, I think one of the things that I found is that I'd better not be requesting an Uber through this program on like a Friday night trying to get home from wherever, <laughs> because being date night, you're not going to find an Uber or, or something yeah. like that. They're going to be doing things elsewhere. And if they aren't there, then you're just stuck. And I've, I've had a few instances like that and in trying to get home from work late uh, where on a six o'clock on a Friday night was not a great time to be looking for an Uber, you know, uh -huh. so negatives like that. But um, for the most part, it's been a good system. I think in Washington, D.C., as Claire has said, it is going to change because money is going to be needed and they're going to start taking away our free access that we've had for like three years. 
uh, and uh, and do this. One one thing that I'm jealous of Sheila on is uh, same day service, and so we're looking to move our uh, abilities ride Uber, and I think we'll get Lyft in there too, and cabs to same day service. I think that'll be a big a big uh, help. But of course. Uh, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see uh, when and if that happens. Hey, this is Artis. <clears throat> the um, um, if you're ride, riding the accessor ride vans, then um, you are uh, limited to the times that the buses run. So um, there are you know a few hours in certain places where buses don't run. But um, the um, access on demand with the Lyft and Uber, you can use anytime you want to. You do have to, um, like Pataluda too, if you want to ride on a Friday or Saturday night, um, dinner time, or you know, then the ride will be more expensive, and so you might find it. Go, it's going to go over the $30 um, threshold and you might have to pay it some of the fee. But so far, we've been pretty lucky. The only two times where they wanted, well, one time Christmas uh, Eve, we wanted to get a ride to go to evening services. And we... I tried for an hour and they were still looking for a ride and we finally just decided to not go. Um, and that happened one time. And then we did have it one time when we had four inches of snow and it was kind of nasty on a Sunday morning. And then they wanted to charge us a lot more for a ride. And um, But, you know, we understood that not every driver wants to go out when it's snow and 10 below zero. So uh, you just have to be cognizant of that. But otherwise, there's not really any uh, limitations besides, you know, the usual ones. And those regular drivers have those same issues, too. So. And this is Sheila. And I guess we have uh, we have the limitations. If you're, you're taking the regular paratransit share affair, we have the the bus route timing and location limitations. Although uh, I notice sometimes they're strictly by the books and sometimes it seems a little, a little looser, more, more with the how far you are from a bus route. There seems to be a little more flexibility than with the timing. We also have the, uh, the limitations of, borders. I live about a mile from the Kansas-Missouri state line, and there are different counties with different uh, different levels of service because of the different levels of um, busing available. And we also have a situation where Kansas City part of the local city tax pays for the buses but no other jurisdictions in the area, and we have a lot of different municipalities, fund their bus systems. So the levels of service go way down when you go out of Kansas City. So when you're using paratransit, you have to be careful about where you're going and and what kind of service you can expect 
and make sure that you that you have it all figured out and whether you're going to Johnson County, Wyandotte County, that sort of thing. Uh, the the um, we had a time where many of the municipalities all had joined together and everybody was all under KCATA. But when finances uh, got worse, now we're having uh, these different companies like Johnson County is splitting off from KCATA now. So I think we're kind of in a transitional phase and it may look differently a year from now, two years from now than, than, it, than it has been. And this is Claire, just to expand upon um, one of Pat's comments about um, accessible vehicles for persons who use wheelchairs or other mobility devices. That's been one concern I've heard in the cross-disability community is that if paratransit systems start to rely too heavily on Uber, Lyft, cabs, things like that, that they will start to neglect um, persons with physical disabilities, which of course we would never want to happen. And so, um, you know, as as advocates in the disability space, of course, for those of us who are blind or low vision, things like Uber or Lyft, um, you know, benefit us, but we would never want, you know, a turn in that direction to work against, you know, other disability communities. And the hope from what I've heard from a lot of people is, well, if we provide Ubers, lifts, taxis to the blind and low vision community or other people with non-physical disabilities that should free up money and space and time for the wheelchair accessible vehicles. So hopefully in an ideal world, they complement each other, but we don't live in an ideal world. So I just know a lot of disability advocates are trying to make sure that it's not benefit one community to disadvantage the other community. Thank you, Claire. And, uh, with that, that concludes the questions that we had as a committee. I really want to thank our panel, uh, artists, Claire, Pat, Sheila. Thank you guys for giving up your evening to come spend it here and hang out with us. Uh, I want to thank the members of the committee, uh, Aaron, Brennan, Nero, and myself. And also Daniel Stevens, who couldn't make it with us. Uh, but thanks to them for their hard work. And I want to switch hats real quick and give a quick uh, plug that, of course, this event is uh, a part of ACB Next Generation. And you can join us for this calendar year for a very scant and, might I say, affordable $15, just go to acbnextgeneration.org and fill out the membership form linked on the main page. And we look forward to welcoming you and having you as a member. And uh, I believe that is about it. So gentlemen and ladies, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. Appreciate thank it. You, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. And everybody, great questions What's tonight. It? That was a great call. Enjoyed and it. Thank you very much. Keep advocating, everybody. Keep advocating. Keep advocating. Will do. That's right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. If you want to know more about ACB Next Generation and the work we are doing to empower the next generation of leaders in ACB, visit our website at acbnextgeneration.org. 